Okay, so hello everyone. This is Let's Discuss a Paper soon after reading it, um, a podcast where we choose a paper, uh, read it within two hours, and then uh, meet here to discuss our questions and first impressions. And first, let us introduce ourselves. Tian uh, Shen, please. Oh, hi, um, my name is Qian Chen, and I'm a PhD student at the Cixia Lab at Monash University, Australia. Thank you. And Yota? Um, hi, I'm Yota Koshima. I'm doing research at Sista. And uh, thank you. And I'm Aniko Kuster. I'm a PhD student at Monash University. And uh, today I will summarize the paper. Uh, so the title of the paper is Rethinking Space, a Review of Perception, Attention, and Memory in Scene Processing. And um, it was written by Monica Castellano and Carolina Chris, I believe. Uh, and uh, it was published in the Annual Review of Vision Science in 2020. And uh, basically the paper is um, about, of course, uh, scene perception. And they start up by um, discussing that, of course, scene perception is often, or scene, scenes are often described with um, spatial information and with semantic information. And previously, um, or in the tradition of scene perception research, semantic information has been um, kind of prioritized in a way because um, many, much research has been done on object recognition within scenes. And for that, of course, the semantic information seems to be very important. If, um, for example, there are semantic violations, so uh, an object is in a scene that kind of doesn't really work, um, then um, it is obviously the scene perception is altered or, or it is less efficient. Um, However, the authors argue that actually um, the spatial dimension may be uh, maybe as much as important as this semantic dimension. Um, and so they bring up several arguments. One of it, one of one of the arguments is that there are several specific brain regions, uh, including the uh, parahippocampal place area, um, and the, how is it the retros Lineal cortex and the occipital uh, place area that seems to be specifically responding and specifically encoding um, layout or spatial information when someone observes a scene. Uh, and also, um, they also mentioned a previous study that uh, the authors have done, or um, one of the authors have done, um, that was kind of trying to actually sort out whether uh, semantic information or spatial information is um, more important in a way and manipulated both for this kind of image recognition uh, task. And they have found that um, actually spatial information uh, can be, uh, can make kind of object recognition more efficient, even when there are no semantic link between the scene and the object. So for that reason, they argue that actually um, it might be fruitful for future research to put spatial uh, information in the forefront of um, um, like active research questions and studies. And they bring up four, uh, actually five different 
uh, or they discuss five different um, kind of arguments uh, to support this claim or to support this um, proposal. So one, one of the kind of set of evidence or, or arguments comes from the early scene perception literature, which basically argues that um, global features of um, scenes like um, the, the, the uh, extent of space or uh, like um, kind of the texture or just general global properties of uh, scenes actually precede um, uh, or they are processed quicker and um, they are processed sooner than general kind of semantic information about the like uh, about scene category. So um, basically they, they propose that, okay, so in this case, um, spatial processing seemed to be mm, actually like happened earlier than semantic. And then they go on to the second set of evidence, which is basically um, that there are spatial constraints of scene object uh, associations. And here they argue about um, certain spatial regularities that can be observed. Uh, so of course there are general spaces or like there are places within a scene where objects tend to occur. And of course there are also um, kind of physical or, or um, expectation based on physical physics, physical rules where objects can occur. So uh, these kind of influences do affect um, kind of object recognition and object processing. Um, yeah, they also argue, uh, or they also bring up a very interesting point about um, the importance of uh, the vertical position of an object within a scene. So whether if it's in the uh, upper part, the mid part or the bottom part of the image. Um, again, this kind of uh, congruency and incongruency between the position or this kind of location information uh, and the object can really improve or um, kind of um, um, uh, slow down processing of um, uh, of the, the scene image. And they also um, mention that this kind of um, like different um, um, like larger aspects of the image images are important in um, kind of creating scenes. So for example, they mention a study in virtual reality where subjects were uh, kind of creating um, virtual environments and then subjects tended to do tended to create larger objects first and then these larger objects were also um, they were good cues for people to recall what they have kind of created so again this kind of larger information uh, or larger um, uh, larger scale information is, is seem to be very important um, then they describe the um, yeah the uh, the attentional and spatial processing across depth, which is basically to summarize it shortly, um, depths like the the depths of a of of an image uh, is also very important, and specifically um, the peripersonal space, which which is the area that is fairly close to the observer. It's it is within the 
arms reach um, or like approximately in, in that uh, area, that region seems to be prioritized when it comes to information processing. It seems to be more accurate and more uh, sensitive to changes. Uh, so again, this kind of emphasizes the importance of, of this kind of this spatial dimension in, um, in processing. And then also they mentioned the, um, the importance of, of uh, navigation within space. So of course, um, uh, when um, participants look at scenes, um, they can actually um, basically automatically imagine certain navigational paths. Uh, and also there's a whole um, li li literature on um, how people kind of extend and um, uh, kind of imagine areas, how they actually move through um, an environment and how this can uh, create this kind of um, anticipatory anticipatory spatial representations. So they imagine how will something look like and that kind of creates expectations. Uh, and then if something violates that, that can be very important information. And finally, they also discuss um, that spatial information is in general very um, effective as a, as a cue for uh, memory retrieval. Um, and they also mentioned this uh, very interesting discussion whether when someone is um, um, trying to, so when objects, whether objects and scenes are represented from a view, view, viewpoint dependent or a viewpoint invariant um, kind of way. Viewpoint dependent meaning that you kind of uh, learn the image, how, how you use it and you are better at recognizing it from that viewpoint. And the viewpoint invariant is that you basically, the visual system can create a general representation of the object that is not related to, uh, not that strongly dependent on the viewpoint. And with this literature, there are some um, kind of contradicting findings because for example, um, we, when it comes to scene recognition, this kind of viewpoint um, seems to be very important that there are some findings emphasizing the importance of, of viewpoint dependency, but there are others that seems to contradict it. So again, this is a very interesting and um, evolving research area. And finally, they discuss a couple of future directions and questions, um, basically emphasizing that um, the, like looking, using spatial information, um, and looking at how it guides attentional processes uh, definitely needs more work. Um, also kind of whether how something, how people pay attention to something and how they uh, not pay attention to something. So that's also another interesting question, how spatial information can um, determine um, kind of lack of attention. And, um, yeah, finally, so basically they, they, they just argue that there seems to be uh, a set of different um, kind of regularities and, and important findings with all the different dimensions across um, the visual field. So uh, up and down, left and right, and then in depth. 
Um, so these are these seem to be all important, crucial aspects of, of understanding um, a scene. And yeah, basically the authors just hope for more uh, research and more investigation with um, within the spatially organized um, um, scene or, 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 or spatial or spatially organized information within the scene. And yeah, I, of course I probably missed out a lot of information, so please do add uh, information or, or details that I have missed. I don't have anything to add. Um, Chen you have? Neither do I. I think it's a pretty good summary. Okay, then uh, we can maybe go on to uh, discussion. So do you guys have any kind of questions or, or um, discussion points that you wanted to bring in? So I have a question to kind of challenge him. Okay, go uh, ahead. Uh, the figure one of this paper, okay. uh, which, you know, um, you know, investigate the difference between the incongruent location versus incongruent or semantic uh, incongruency or something like that. Mm. And that, or kind of, I feel it's similar, you know, experiment to your, yours in a sense. So my question is that, did you distinguish this, you know, location congruency and semantic congruency, or have you ever solved this kind of stuff? Um, I'd say in our experiment, we look at semantic congruency only, and um, the spatial congruency is relatively well controlled for because every image is a person uh, performing an action on an object. So the object wouldn't be you know, out of place. It would only be either congruent or incongruent with the context or the action. And if I remember correctly, you compute some, you know, the speed or something, the information per second or something like that. No? Um, not for the current ah, okay. manuscript. Yeah. Yeah, because you know this paper mentions that the you know spatial information will be processed first and then after that the semantic process ah, information so maybe you know if you only focus on you know uh, semantic congruency congruency maybe the time will be or the information part time will be much you know smaller than looking at the spatial con uh, location congruency maybe i i would say so we have two tasks in a mm. sense in our experiment so the semantic congruency is only one of it and the other one is the more general task mm -hmm. asking whether people are able to distinguish what they see in the image and some patches from a completely different and unseen image set um I would say um, to some extent participants can utilize this spatial organization 
of the original scene to do the task to some extent, because when we present these uh, test probe patches for participants to judge whether that patch was part of the image or not, we present them in the same location as they were in the original image. So um, according to this paper anyway, then um, us presenting them in the same location would have helped participant to um, recognize or make other judgments, right? Versus when we just present them in a random location, that's different from what way it was. So if we present the sky at like the bottom of the screen, then they will slow down. I um, I have a related question to what's like most of the psychophysics studies in this uh, review. Um, this you know this review talks about how manipulating the space, the spatial location of the objects would slow down performance or decrease performance. But I always wonder what's the effect size of this manipulation? You know, how much slow down are our participants and how, how much of the accuracy has been decreased by this kind of manipulation? And what's the sample size of these kind of studies? I think these are quite important because um, just look at, you know, the studies that manipulate semantic congruency, they tend to claim that if you present an object in an inconsistent, semantically inconsistent background, then um, participants would be uh, slower and or less accurate in recognizing the object. But for one, the decrease in accuracy was on average like 10%. Um, and on the other hand, um, in actually in my study, we used some image set to test this, right? Over half of the image did not show that effect. So I think it's very important. I, I would hope that they, they, they are more kind of explicit about the actual effect size of this kind of manipulations, especially when um, they are kind of making the point where spatial uh, organization of the scene is prioritized for, for processing compared to semantics, then I would, like, I would love to see a bigger effect size, right? Yeah, I think it's also, uh, they have mentioned studies with um, eye tracking and kind of, I think that also suggests for me that I think some of the findings were about, um, you know, how people were fixating to an object and for example some of the um, off location objects where they needed longer more fixation or, or longer time to um to to recognize or to find it so again with this kind of uh, eye tracking measure i think it's more um yeah potentially um you are able to find differences that are much smaller on the behavioral level uh, but again then it kind of comes back to the question is this uh, relevant like is this relevant when it comes to uh, uh, processing the scene or or how relevant is that how how uh, deterministic is that um yeah yeah 
So, I mean, there are some, so it, uh, as far as I know, there are uh, increasingly um, available uh, eye tracking options for online studies actually. So it potentially might be an interesting thing to, to do larger online study to actually properly measure sample sizes for such effects. Yeah, um, that would be great. Yeah. But yeah, I, I completely agree that this kind of, um, yeah, it, of course, this is a review paper, so they might not have space or they don't want to discuss specific numbers, but um, it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting how much, uh, for example, certain aspects, uh, certain manipulation is able to decrease the efficiency of processing because it is kind of an important, um, yeah, outcome. Yeah. Um, another thing I, I want to discuss about um, something proposed in this paper is that um, towards the end, I could have said where it was. Um, anyways, in page 16, um, they mentioned that um, different regions of the scene are um, processed with different levels of priority depending on, you know, the task demand or like, you know, common expectations of what should be where. Um, so the more relevant regions are prioritized for processing and allocated with more attention, while the irrelevant regions are actually inhibit, inhibited for processing. And yeah, it makes me wonder how are they inhibited in a sense? Like, are they inhibited at the level of early um, kind of visual processing where it, you know, people actually don't have, uh, let's say conscious perception of those irrelevant regions have been significantly inhibited or you perceive it as it is, but um, it was inhibited in memory. I think it would be a very interesting thing to um, kind of discern. Because I know that, um, I think in 2016, there was a paper that looked at um, incidental memory of faces. It was, I think now also participated in that paper. And um, I think I, if I remember correctly, it was the task, a visual search task for target face in a picture of many, many, many faces. And um, they tested, people's incidental memory to the irrelevant faces that participants had fixated on on the way to search for the target face. And turns out participants has very good conscious access and um, okay recognition performance for these irrelevant faces. So I wonder if you know these irrelevant regions would also um, experience the same fate. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, I think in many cases, um, some of these attentional inhibition uh, findings may come from EG uh, related findings where they can look at, um, for example, alpha activity or ERP activities um, in certain 
like regions of the of the occipital cortex and then they can say that okay for example the left visual field seems to be inhibited um as it is on the relevant because there was another cue there was a cue on the other visual field that here will be some information um i think otherwise behaviorally i can't really think of a good way to um to to discern whether an information is inhibited or it is processed but just then not stored and yeah this comes into the whole kind of rich perception or sparse perception or um like into this discussion um yeah i think that's definitely something to clarify in a way because um also for example when you mentioned this phase uh, related paper i i kind of think that maybe faces might be prioritized more so maybe if there is um, some kind of um, regional inhibition, but that can be overwritten if there's a phase there. I don't know. I see. Yeah, for me, I think uh, something that was uh, quite interesting is, um, again, in the end, uh, they discussed that uh, um, so some objects may have more um, kind of fixed locations. Um, they mentioned cats, which have no fixed location in, in place, but in space, especially, which is very very uh like great, great yes, exactly they can be anywhere um and so yeah in a way i think it's also kind of points out that um uh potentially not all objects are handled the same way and there are like kind of learned uh, regularities for certain objects as well um and in that way i think we should kind of pay attention more um or like i hope that more research will pay attention to what kind of objects are we um like um using in in, in for example visual search um because the object itself can have certain like this kind of uh, properties of whether they are they can be placed or they have more kind of fixed place in in a scene usually yeah i think that was that was interesting Anyone else have any um, things to discuss? I uh, maybe one thing. I more yeah, I'm more interested in the you know neural kind of mechanism thing, and you know the author mentioned the spatial information stuff so. I expect they mentioned something about retinotopy, but they only mentioned the you know parahippocampal stuff and so on. So I don't know how you know these you know ideas can be explained in terms of you know neural connectivity or something. Or for for example, um, the cat case, maybe if they can be 
everywhere in the visual space. And also there are also similar types of object, not the cat, but let's say, I don't know, fry. Spiders. Uh, yeah, something like that. And if we can find some kind of, you know, cluster of neural representation within the, for that, you know, animal types or, and also the fixed type object, from there, maybe we can say that, oh, okay, maybe this pathway is important for that, you know, type of, you know, object, but for fixed object, we need this pathway or something like that. So if they, you know, can, propose some kind of, you know, framework or computational neural uh, mechanism stuff, that would be great. But I don't know, this paper much focus on, you know, psychophysics or behavior stuff. So that's what I, yeah. So why reading this paper? Yeah, I was also um, expecting something closer to a retinotopic mapping of the space kind of finding it would be um, groundbreaking for me. Um, I, I do remember there's this um, representational similarity and analysis, well, um, experiment of, um, how do I say, it's coding, neural coding of space. I think it was um, study using experience sampling. They have like a little camera um, with people and then they just, the, person just walk around for like two weeks and then um, they analyze um, the neural activity when the participant is in one environment, one place versus the other. And they found that um, the distance between the neural representations of two, two places are greater when the physical distances between the two places are um, kind of farther. So, if they do something like that with, um, um, you know, their current focus, which is one enclosed nearby space, then that would be very cool. Yeah, oh, especially they mentioned peripersonal space is coded differently from uh, somewhere um, slightly further. Yeah, I think they also mentioned, uh, and I think, um, potentially there are they are working on projects with virtual reality um which is yeah which is a very nice way to kind of assess these these changes yeah i mean yeah i think it's it's um yeah definitely very interesting um, i would i was actually not familiar with this literature and i didn't know that um semantic uh like this semantic dimension is so much more emphasized than spatial um kind of information um yeah but i mean i i, I can definitely um agree with the authors in that like yes yeah, spatial information seems very important um but yeah i guess it's it's uh, uh whether it is more important than semantic or is it always more important or in only in some cases yeah potentially that is more, I think we would need more research. Um, yeah, but uh, definitely interesting summary of, of this kind of framework. I, I've learned a lot of new information. Yeah. 
Do you guys have anything else to add? So uh, regarding DL experiment setup, can we still perceive the distance? It's just a, you know, full 2D display? Because if we are talking about the distance, I think it's better to use the, you know, real object instead of image. Because otherwise we can't perceive any distance. And of course we can estimate the distance between the observer or the viewer, agent and the object. Mm, I, I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you oh. think? So wait, can you clarify your question? So you, you think that um, like images presented on a screen, for example, they don't have that much depth information? Yes. Because let's say if you present a you know, picture of house, or let's say kitchen, and then they label some like a upper and middle and bottom, and also they mentioned about the you know, peripersonal and the far away stuff. Of course, we can estimate you know, which object is closer to you and which is far away from you, but it's all you know, just an estimation based on 2D image. But in real you know, environment, by you know, using binocular information disparity, we, you know, compute some kind of distance and then use that information. So if I think we want to talk about distance, we need to use not the you know, image presentation, rather just a real object. I don't know whether it's you know, empirically you know, practical or not, but uh, yeah, if we can you know, manage that, I think it's better. So, and that would not include virtual virtual reality. I think, sense? yeah, I don't know because I've never tried that before. Do you, or have you ever tried DL? I, I had, but um, it was um, it wasn't the most um, kind of developed setup in a sense because I could see pixels, mm. um, and. I was pretty scared off at the calibration stage because they use like deep sea kind of immersion kind of thing. I was kind of scared. Um, but otherwise it seems quite real because I was scared. Okay. Um, but I think hmm, some people will cr could criticize um, to what extent VR um, does simulate um, our actual visual experience. Um, I think especially with the way they present peripheral visual information to you. Uh, and also I know that, you know, people get who get dizzy over VR, but they don't get dizzy over <laughs> physical reality. So um, when they are looking at how spatial information are processed, using a virtual reality, they need to be very careful about these kind of things. Yeah, so on that point, I know that, for example, that's a very good uh, test, I guess, or, or uh, an interesting thing to, for example, uh, put people in VR um, headset and use uh, an image, uh, like use um, uh, a VR environment, which kind of 
shows an edge. So for example, you are standing on the edge of uh, on the edge of a building or on a mountain or something like that. And there are actually quite big varieties, um, I think, within individuals. But there are people who are actually like really like super scared and then they don't um yeah they don't they dare to step uh into into the depth in a way so that would kind of um suggest that uh, it is at least on some level enough to to induce some fear response um and and for for those images it's definitely like depth perception or depth related information that is that is the important um aspect but i don't uh, I, I don't really know if, I'm, I'm pretty sure it has been tested, but I don't know any concrete papers that has looked at it in detail. Um, but yeah, I know that there are people who are, who can be really like scared of, of moving uh, towards the edge in a VR environment. Yeah, using it for the exposure therapy for people who's afraid of heights. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it can be at least some somewhat similar to um, like normal experience, I guess. Okay, then I should try that. I mean, be at some point. Yeah. But I think also, um, yeah, this kind of um, like use of VR is yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Um, I think you can, like people are able to adapt to this kind of environment very quickly and very uh, like efficiently. Um, but then, yeah, like whether, I think it would be interesting to compare. Um, oh, well, so actually there are, I think studies with augmented reality. So you are in an experimental room and then you have a VR headset, but you are only like there's for example, an, uh, an image of a cube somewhere projected, but otherwise your environment is the normal environment that you would have. Oh, like bizarre, bizarreness of the, the environment or something. It, does it like duplicate the experiment room or? Something, I think so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so argumented reality. I think there are, I, I'm pretty sure there is also like, like actual representation of the, the same room or maybe there are also some solutions that would just show the image on top of the on top of I don't know oh. I'm not sure but if that would be an interesting like that would be an interesting kind of mid-step to to do research on as a natural oh, yeah. environment well we need uh, there is uh, apparently a VR setup at the MBI in our building so Oh, I've only heard of it. Well, now we have ideas to use it. Yeah, I, I, I asked now about, um, you know, doing experiments with VR. You always say it's too expensive. <laughs> it's like, it's too expensive. Um, it's like, if we have like a, if we could use some massive screen instead, we can, you know, try not to use VR, like something as expensive as VR. I'm fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure it will become less and less expensive with time. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to more more VR related research. That sounds like a fun, 
fun little thing to do. So yeah, I think if, do you guys have any other questions? Because we have already, I think, discussed for like 40 minutes now or so. Um, but if not, then thank you guys uh, for coming and see you next time.